Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm Jared Brummett, audio engineer and editor, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. This episode is a message that Rob delivered at Shadow Mountain Community Church in El Cajon, California. As always, we'd like to invite you to visit robertjmorgan.com, where you'll find Rob's blog post, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. I feel like I'm always the one that should be applauding you for letting me come. I love Shadow Mountain. I love this church. I love your pastor and his wife and family. And uh, I just love everything about it. The choir and the orchestra is just a great favorite of mine. <clears throat> Not every church has a choir anymore. And very few have orchestras. So I'm, it's worth coming all the way from Nashville just to hear that. I always wish that I were a musician. And um, I did take trombone lessons for years, but I let them slide. <laughs> and the children's ministry, I just want to give a shout out. I couldn't even get my eight-year-old in these services because he wanted to be in the children's ministry. And all of my grandkids, I try to bring them when I can. Uh, and they love the children's ministry here. So it's a great, this year I brought my, uh, or this time on this weekend, I brought my eight-year-old uh, whose name is Liam. Now we had an eight-year-old baptized, Wyatt, in the earlier service. You should go back and watch that tape. It was just a real precious time. But there is nothing like traveling with an eight-year-old. And um, so I, I came out here first class from Nashville and I paid the airline to let Liam sit in first class beside me. And he enjoyed it. And as he was getting off the plane, he said, Papa, I'm never going back to tourist class again. (laughs) During the flight, he looked over at me and he said, now, Papa, don't worry. He said, I've read the manual in the seat back pocket. If anything goes wrong, I will put my mask on first and then help you with yours. <laughs> that's, that's true. Now, I can, never, I can never have thought of things like that, but you know, what your grandchildren say. I have a four-year-old great-grandson. His name is Clay, and somehow age came up the other day, and I said, well, Clay, do I look old to you? He was so sweet. He said, not in your body, but you do in your face. (laughs) But if I could, I would have all of my grandkids and great-grandkids here. They would love this church. And if you have youngsters, make sure they are plugged in in every way and make sure they appreciate the music and the worship that takes place here and the teaching by Dr. Jeremiah. As we begin this new year, I thought there would be a a very, it's a very good time to remind you of a verse that we could adopt this year as our annual verse. Some institutions or churches or organizations every year 
will select the new Bible verse to be their verse of the year. So I want to suggest one to you for 2024, and it is 2024. It's the book of Acts 2024. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 20, and look at verse 24. I'm going to read it to you first in the Living Bible. And then we're going to go back and look at the entire context. But here's what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, 24. But life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. That really struck me when I saw it. Life is worthless what is life worth? Well, doctors tell us that if you could take the chemicals and minerals in our bodies and just sell them, maybe we're worth $100. If you are on your deathbed and you've signed your will, then you are worth whatever you're worth to your heirs. If you have people that love you, then you are worth a great deal to them. But if you think of yourself in God's sight, you are worth even the blood of His own Son. But what is life worth to you, to your own self? Paul said, it is worthless unless I use it for doing the work that God has assigned me to do. So that is the core of what he is saying here in the 20th chapter. Now, here is the background. The Apostle Paul was always on a mission. And he primarily had recorded for us in the book of Acts three missionary tours. And the third one was primarily centered in the city of Ephesus. And in Acts chapter 19, he established a church there and he stayed three years in this great city on the west coast of Turkey, we would say today. And you can still go there and see very good ruins and imagine what it was like when Paul the apostle spent three years there. But he preached the gospel and he taught every single day in the hall of Tyrannius that he rented. And so this became a very strong church. In fact, the church of the Ephesians is the best church in the New Testament. It is one in which when Paul wrote to them, he didn't have to correct any problems in the church. You know, when he wrote to the Corinthians, there were a lot of problems and he had a lot of corrective passages there. When he wrote to the Galatians, there were problems. When he wrote to the Colossians, he was addressing problems. But when he wrote his letter to the Ephesians, he just spoke off of the top of the cream of his heart about the richness of the Christian life. And that's why the book of Ephesians is like the Switzerland of the epistles of Paul. It's so wonderful to study. So Paul had this church that he really loved. It was the definitive church in his ministry, the church of the Ephesians, and he established it in Acts chapter 19 on his third missionary journey. Now, a little bit later, he circled back into that area. He left, he did some other touring, he was going on to Jerusalem, but he wanted to speak one more time to the leaders of the congregations in Ephesus. So I think in Ephesus there was one church, but many different house churches. And these had leaders, and these leaders were called elders. And so the Apostle Paul gathered together the elders in a place about 30 miles away from Ephesus, a place called Miletus, and he gave them 
a wonderful message. It is recorded for us, at least a summary of it, is recorded for us here in Acts chapter 20. It is the only sermon that Paul preached in the book of Acts that is addressed to Christians. All of the other messages are evangelistic. So he tried to reach the Jews. He tried to reach the Gentiles. We have quite a number of his evangelistic messages, and we have his message, messages to teaching in the epistles. But in the book of Acts, this is the only Pauline sermon that is addressed to Christians. And it's to these elders in the church. And I'll, I'm going to take you through it, but I want to tell you that the most special thing about it is the way that he ends the sermon. He ends with a blockbuster quotation that exceeds anything that I could ever do, or even Dr. Jeremiah. He ends with a quotation from Jesus Christ that had never yet been recorded. He knew something that Jesus said, and it's not in Matthew, it's not in Mark, it's not in Luke, it's not in John. But Paul knew about the statement that Jesus had made, and he ended his sermon by giving us a totally new statement of Jesus Christ in my Bible. It is even in red letters, and the statement is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, no one knew that Jesus had said that in terms of what is recorded for us prior to that in the New Testament. But Paul had heard about it. He knew about it. So he ended this message to the Ephesian elders saying, even as our Lord Jesus Christ said, red letters, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that really sums up the message uh, in one word. This is a message about giving. And so I want to walk through this message to the Ephesian elders with you. We'll read every verse of it. It's not very long. But it begins here in the book of Acts chapter 20 and with verse 17. So if you have your Bibles open there, if you're watching online, then if you can, grab a Bible. And here is what it says beginning with verse 17. And the first point here is that Paul says we must be generous in giving out the message of the gospel. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, I came to Ephesus and I gave you something. I gave it to everybody. I gave you the gospel and I held back nothing that would be helpful for you. Maybe at first you didn't like everything that I said. Maybe at first you thought I was too narrow or too broad. But I just wasn't going to hold back anything that would be helpful to you. But I wanted to preach to you and give you the message of repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And those are the two aspects of receiving the gospel. 
How do you become a Jesus follower? How do you find forgiveness of all of the guilt and the shame and the things you've done so that you never have to look back again and with regret? It is through repentance. You say, Lord, I know that I've messed up. Everybody on the planet has messed up. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes me, but I am sorry. And I ask you to forgive me and by your power to help me to live in a different way. You can't do it on your own, but you can do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is repentance. And then you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that He died and rose again. And His blood somehow is an acid that covers you and eats away all of the sin and the stain. And the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. Has that happened to you? And are you sure about it? This was the message that Paul said he gave and that you and I must look for every opportunity to give. We've got to do better with the people we work with and go to school with and live with at learning to initiate gospel conversations. You can learn to do that so easily and simply that people won't even know that you're lapsing into a witnessing opportunity until they hear it. You just learn to initiate gospel conversations. What did you do last Sunday? Oh, I did this and this. What did you do? Oh, I went to church and the pastor, Pastor Jeremiah, had a verse of Scripture, and before you know it, you're witnessing to them. So we have to learn to do that. It is something that the Holy Spirit helps us with, but how do you initiate gospel conversations? But then there are many ways of witnessing and sharing the gospel. I've just finished reading a book by Debbie Thompson, who, along with her husband Larry, served as missionaries during the old Soviet Union days behind the Iron Curtain. They were there secretly in Poland ministering, and they were always in some danger. But they, you know, the Lord protected them, and they ministered, and they won people to the Lord. And sometimes they would leave Poland and take a very carefully arranged tour of Russia. And one day there was a lady named Tanya who came to Debbie, said, can I go with you the next time you tour Russia? She said, I used to be there in Leningrad, St. Petersburg, when I was a student. And they didn't know Tanya. She could have been with the KGB or she could have been with the secret police, but they prayed about it and finally decided they would take her and they toured along. And in the process, Debbie simply initiated gospel conversations and shared with her the gospel and said, would you like to know Christ as your Savior? And Tanya said, yes, I would. But first, let me tell you a story. She said, when I was a student in... Leningrad. It was a cold winter's day. I was bundled up going from my classes to where I was living, and I was passing a hotel that the foreigners would stay in, and suddenly something fell out of the sky and landed at my feet, and I stopped and picked it up and saw it was a Bible, and I stuck it under my coat because I knew it was illegal, and I ran home and started reading the Bible, and I've been reading it ever since, and that's why I'm ready to receive Christ as Savior, which she proceeded to do. Well, years later, Debbie was on furlough in Mississippi, and she met with a friend of hers. They had coffee together, and the friend said, you know, I've been to St. Petersburg too once, to Leningrad, 
She said, during the Soviet days, my husband and I, we arranged to go on a tour there, and we took Bibles because we wanted to pass them out, but we were under such heavy security that we never had the opportunity. And I know a little what's, you know, three or four years ago, I was in St. Petersburg, and you talk about heavy security. I couldn't sneeze without a minder, you know, knowing about it and reporting it all the way up to Putin, I guess. But at any rate... This lady said, I had all of these Bibles in my suitcase, and we couldn't give them out, and I just prayed. I said, Lord, what should I do? And he said, just fling them out the window. And so she said, I opened the hotel window, and I just started flinging out the Bibles, (laughs) praying that everyone would land in the feet of someone or in the pathway of someone who would receive it. And then Debbie knew the other side of the story. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you can't do anything out, just drive down the road and fling out. (laughs) There are so many ways for us to share the gospel of Christ. Debbie also said, she said, even a child can do this. She said there was one particular Easter when we had in our home the Jesus film, which also was illegal behind the Iron Curtain. But she said, we were watching it with our two children, Ann Coleman and um, David who was the younger one. And the telephone rang, and Larry went to answer the phone, and I heard something that sounded disturbing, and I went to join him, and I was listening on the receiver, and a tornado had gone through the area where my parents lived back in the States, and they had run for their lives to get out of the, literally running from their home to escape the tornado. And just at that moment, their daughter, Ann Coleman, hollered and said, Mama, the film's about over, and at the end they asked people who want to receive Christ as Savior to pray. And Debbie said, will you keep watching? We're on the phone. And she heard that her parents had found a concrete bridge, gone under it, and held onto the pilings for dear life to keep from being blown away. And Ann Coleman hollered again, and she said, David has never received Christ. At the end of the film, he should pray. And Debbie said, just listen to the film. I'm on the phone. And they found out that the house and everything had been destroyed, and her parents, their lives had been saved, but everything was gone, and they felt so strange being so far away. But then she said, we hung up the phone, and my children came running. And Ann Coleman said, David has just prayed to receive Christ as Savior at the end of the film. I led him in praying that prayer. And she had, and many years later, back in the States, when Anne was married, her brother David, then a strapping, tall, handsome young man, stood up and said at the wedding ceremony, the rehearsal, I will always remember it was you who led me to faith in Jesus Christ. One child leading another. So if children can share the gospel, Why is it that you and I have such a difficult time? We've just got to initiate gospel conversations as best we can and learn how to do it and give out Bibles and give out tracts and invite people to shout a mountain and do whatever we can to do what Paul did here. He said, I have not hesitated to tell you anything that would be helpful to you, but I've preached repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. Now, the second paragraph here says that we've also got to be generous with our mission. 
verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But now we come to this verse 24. But none of those things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all of the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So to summarize it, he is saying, I have a mission and you have a mission. And my mission is to finish the work that the Lord has given me so that at the end of the road I will have joy and I will have done everything the Lord called me to do and I will have finished my race. And your mission is to shepherd the flock among you. I'm not going to be here anymore. You're not going to see my face on earth again. I've got to go on. But you shepherd the flock among you and serve as overseers and watch out for the flock because there are many enemies of the cross and many enemies of the gospel. And you've got to be careful and guard the flock against those things and finish the work that God has given you to do. And the underlying message is one that I believe in very deeply, that if the Lord had wanted you to have been born in the days of the Apostle Paul, he would have plopped you down in the world somewhere on that. If he had wanted you to be born in the 1500s when Luther was uh, challenging the system and starting the Reformation, if he had wanted you to be born 100 years ago or 50, he would have, but we are all born exactly when the Lord wants us to appear on this earth to do what he wants us to do for our generation. We're not here randomly. We're not here by accident. We are born at the right time. We're living at the right speed. We're going to die at the right time. And we are exactly where the Lord wants us to be for doing what he has called us to do now and for this generation. And that's the thing that, that matters in this life. It's not how much we accumulate or how people respect us or don't respect us or what's happened to us or how much pleasure we have or how many games we play. It's are we doing what God has called us to do. The Lord said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. And before you were even conceived in the womb, I appointed you for the work that I want you to do. Now, when you think about that and you apply it to yourself, it is a profound thought. 
God has work on earth for you to do that only you can do. And he's given you the gifts and the physicality or lack thereof or the personality or the lack thereof to do whatever it is he wants you to do. He has made you just to do what he wants you to do. And he has placed you where you are. And if we come every day before his throne and we begin the day in rededicating ourselves to him and saying, dear Lord, I don't belong to myself today. I belong to you. What do you want me to do today? Then he's going to show you. And you don't know what the Lord may want you to do five years from now or 10 years from now. But we live in one day increments. And we say, Lord, I am yours today. What do you want me to do? And then as best you know how, you go about serving the Lord that day, doing whatever it is he leads you to do. And you do it the next day and the next day and the next day. And it is, as one writer said, a prolonged journey, marching in the same direction until we make it home. Now, Jesus did this when he was 12 years old in the temple. He said, I must be about my father's business. And then when he died at age 33, the night before his crucifixion, he said, Lord, I've finished the work that you've given me to do. I have brought glory to you by finishing the work that you've given me to do. I think it would be a very difficult thing if we got to the end of our life, and we never know when that's going to be, but we got to the end of life and we'd done everything except what the Lord had asked us to do, what he placed us here on this planet to do. If you're a young person here, a teenager, a young adult, you don't have time to experiment with all kinds of things. You've got to be about the Father's business because we don't know how long we've got, and it's never too soon to begin serving the Lord with all of your heart. And plus, that's the most joyful kind of life to have anyway. Zachariah and Elizabeth were the, you know, they were the instigators of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. They were an old couple in the hills of Judea. And Luke says about them in Luke chapter 1 that they were, he didn't say they were old. He said they were very old. <laughs> but they had been serving the Lord faithfully all of those years. But the Lord had simply been preparing them for the greatest work that they were going to do in their old age, the raising of a son to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And it's fascinating how the Lord chose to prepare them through the generations, through the years, through the decades, so that at the right moment, they would be there for what he appointed them to do. But it's just a matter of daily faithfulness. I would suggest waking up every morning and saying, dear Lord, this is your day and I am your man. I am your woman. What do you want me to do today? Fill me with your spirit. I rededicate myself to you, and I want to live my life in a way that is glorifying to you and finish the work today that you've given me to do. And then, Father, I'm going to rest overnight and do the same thing again tomorrow. And that is a tremendous way to live. That is being generous with our mission. We are giving ourselves. And then he ends this message here by saying not only should we be generous with our message and with our mission, but with our money. Verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend to you God, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up 
and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. The word of his grace. When you wake up in the morning and you give yourself to the Lord and you ask him for his assignment for the day, then you open this word of grace and it builds you up, taking in from the scripture every single day. He said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know these hands of mine have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. In other words, I didn't come into Ephesus to rip you off and to try and make a lot of money and, and to pad my own lifestyle. He said, I work there and supported myself. And that's what you should do. He says in verse 35, I have shown you that in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said, and now he gives us this quote in red letters that we had never seen before if we started in Genesis and read through the Old Testament and came to Matthew and read the four Gospels. And this is how we know Jesus said these words. Paul gave them to us. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them, and they all wept freely, fell on his neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words that he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. One of the most poignant scenes in the book of Acts. Now, that last sentence is worth thinking about, right? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul didn't say it is a terrible thing to receive, but it's a good thing to bless. That's not what the Lord said. It is a blessed thing to receive. When you think about receiving, we take in, we receive. What a blessing it is. And God has given us trillions of blessings. I don't know what the number is after trillion. But when you think that there are trillions of red blood cells in your body, right now just going through, doing their work, that there are trillions of stars up in the sky, all of them there just placed to show us God's glory and to thrill us on a cloudless night. You think about all of the flowers there are all over the world and all of the leaves. Yesterday, I took my grandson to the zoo. You have a wonderful zoo here. And it's a botanical park as well. And we saw all of the beautiful ferns and the plants and the trees and some plants you can't see almost anywhere else. And then we saw all of those animals that God had made. We talked about how funny some of them were. I mean, only a God with a sense of humor would make an ostrich <laughs> or maybe a camel, maybe a giraffe. I love that's just about my favorite animal to see. But the Lord created everything for our enjoyment. The Bible says that he has blessed us with what we call common blessings. Common blessings are blessings that God bestows on everyone, even the worst evil person in the world. They have these common blessings. So, Jesus said, the sun rises over the evil and over the good. The rain falls on the evil and the rain falls on the good. You have two men, they're standing side by side, or maybe they have farms adjoining one another, and one is a very good man and the other is an awful man. But the sun comes up and warms them both. The rain falls and waters their fields. God blesses everyone in this world with all of the common blessings. The world is spinning just at the right speed, the sense of gravity, all of the laws of physics. It's all designed 
for us, and we receive it all. We very often don't thank the Lord for many of those things, but He has given them to us. And then there are not just the common blessings, but the uncommon blessings, those blessings that are especially for believers. We have the presence of God and the awareness of His presence around us all the time, wherever we go. We have all of the promises of God, 31,000 verses of Scripture, and many of them promises in His book. We have His pardon. We can mess up, and He helps us to recover. We can lose our way, and He helps us to recalculate where we should be and how we should go. He gives us endless new beginnings as we go through life. And on top of it all, we have everlasting life, not just a trillion years, but endless living. And you read Revelation 21 and 22 about the new city of Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth, and you think about our loved ones already there. And you know, you don't have to worry about dying because after death, it's going to be a thousand times better than it is now because of all of the promises of God. He has promised to give us everlasting life, and it is blessed to receive those things. What could be, what could be better than receiving all of those things? Well, just one thing. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In that, if, if Paul had said it, it would have been meaningful, but when it comes from the words of Jesus, it's extraordinary, and he's talking here especially in a financial context. So here at the beginning of the year, we look at our checkbooks, we look at our accounts, we look at our finances, we know the nation is dealing with inflation, we know the world economy is hanging by a thread, but God has given us what we need, and a portion of that we give back to Him for His glory, and it funds His work so that we become partners with Him. And that's one of the great privileges of the Christian life. It allows us to do things that we otherwise couldn't do. W.A. Criswell was a famous Dallas pastor, and one day he said that in one of his sermons, he said, a fellow left here, the First Baptist Church of Dallas. He went out into the foyer, and a friend came up to him and said, Joe, what are you going to do this week? Joe said, I've got a busy week. He said, tomorrow I'm going to be in Montana leading a vacation Bible school and working there in a church and their children's program. It's on a Native American reservation. And then on Tuesday, I've got to be in London because I'm going to be joining some street evangelists there to evangelize up and down the Thames at a very strategic place They've had a lot of fruitfulness there and seen a lot of people come to Christ. And on Wednesday, I'm going on to Brussels because we're working there with Christian recordings and a studio that is going to take the messages that we love and that we've accumulated and get them in places that are very hard to reach and into a lot of restricted areas. And then on Thursday, I'll be in Thailand because there's a pastor's conference there and young pastors from the southeastern Asian jungles are going to come together and we're going to equip them for doing things. And on Friday, I'm going to stop by Fiji because there's a child evangelism work going on there that I can participate in. And then on Saturday, I'll be in Southern California because I want to be involved there in some rescue and work missions with the immigrants and with the street people. And there's a great work going there. And then Sunday, I'll be back here. And the man said, how is that even possible? Do you have your own airplane? 
The man said, no. He said, I do all of those things every week, every time I put my offering in the offering plate. Because I'm supporting all of those ministries, it's just as though I were there. And that's exactly what it means to contribute to the Lord. Now, I've been given here a copy of your missionary program, all of the pictures of these people working all over the world doing all kinds of things, and if we ever needed to support them, it's in this critical year of 2024. We don't know how much longer it is until what Dr. Jeremiah calls the great disappearance. So we've got to reach them. And we can't go everywhere, but we can support those who do, and we can give our very best. I read the writings of F.W. Borham sometimes. He lived 100 years ago, and some friends gave me a small collection of his books. They're prized editions now. And he was a man who graduated in England from Spurgeon's Bible College, and he, his first assignment, and really he was there for years and years, was in New Zealand. And he was, wasn't married at the time, so after he graduated, <coughs> he made his way by ship and by train all the way to this little village in New Zealand, got there late, was exhausted, the train pulled into the little station at the village, and he looked out the window, and there was a man there to greet him, Willie. He was a deacon at the church, and he had been largely responsible for recruiting a pastor, and he was so excited, and he was just bubbling, and he hugged F.W. Borham, the young man, and took him to his lodgings and supported him and did so much to help him for a number of months until he suddenly killed over and passed away. And at Willie's funeral, the story was told that he worked at the factory, and every week he got paid, and he would take his paycheck to the bank, and he would give the bankers a fit because he would only want the crisp bills and the shiny coins for a portion of what they gave him. He said, those, that portion is going to the Lord. And I can't give him an old dented rusty coin. I can't give him a dirty dollar bill. He said, what I give to the Lord has got to be the best. And so every week he would find those beautiful bills and those shiny coins. That's what he would put in the offering place because it represented his desire to give the Lord his very best. We don't know what's going to happen. I try to look ahead and, you know, the elections this year and the world situation and what's happening with the war in Europe and the war in the Middle East and 31 different conflicts I've read going on around the world. Some of you know more about it than I do, and some of you may be in harm's way. We don't know what this year will hold, but we know what God wants for us for this year, and we know that He's going to watch over us. And He says, this is a year when nothing matters except doing the work that He has assigned for us to do at our school, on our bases, in our golf courses, in our churches, in your factories or offices or stores. We just want to do. Life is worthless unless we use it for doing what He has told us to do, and we can finish our work with joy. And that means being generous. 
Now, I want to say to anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, there could be there's a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, maybe a young adult, maybe a teenager here, and you don't know for sure that your life is absolutely nailed down for Jesus Christ. Well, don't let another hour go by. There'll be people here at the front, pastors here at the front who can pray with you, help you to make that decision, help you to receive Him as Savior. And the Bible says this is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. And if you're watching online, you can make a decision right now to say to the Lord, forgive me of my sins. I repent of them. And I here and now receive Jesus Christ as best I know how. And just pray that prayer. And then get into your Bible and read the Bible and go to church and begin to grow and begin to fulfill what God has for your life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So let's be generous with our message, with our ministry, with our money. And let's always remember, it is wonderful to receive, but blessed are those who know the secret beatitude. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I want to pray especially for the men and women or young people watching or here who simply need Jesus. Lord, awaken them to that. Open their eyes to it and grip their hearts with it. And may today be a special turning point for them. And for those, Lord, all of us who are here, may we leave here rededicated to live lives of generosity and message ministry and money, to be absolutely committed to you, and to say may 2024 be lived for Christ, and for Christ alone is our prayer in his name. Amen. Thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company, Clearly Media. Audio editing and engineering is done by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler takes each of these episodes, condenses them, adds an opening outline, and posts them as blogs on my website at robertjmorgan.com, where you can find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis. Thank you for tuning in, and may God be with you until we meet again.